0: Log Talk Radio.
1: And welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. Uh, it's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Zikaway. Today is Sunday, uh, April the 24th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again uh, to another edition of our program. Later on, we'll be coming up with our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the results of the French uh, presidential elections uh, where incumbent Emmanuel Macron won the contest uh, with 58% of the vote. Iran has denied uh, reports uh, by Western media sources that it is supplying weapons to the Russian Federation. The Ethiopian military commander has delivered an interview on the current security situation in the Horn of Africa state, and some members of the Forces for Freedom and Change in Sudan have been released by the military regime, yet the leader of the movement remains in detention. In the second hour, we examine recent developments in the Russian intervention in Ukraine. We'll have an interview with Russian Federation Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov that was conducted Uh, By India today. Finally, uh, we pay tribute to Dr. Kwame Nkrumah on the 50th anniversary of his transition on April the 27th of 1972. Uh, We'll hear a rare archival interview uh, with uh, Dr. Nkrumah, uh, the first prime minister and president of Ghana's First Republic, uh, that was uh, conducted uh, with Meet the Press, the U.S. uh, News program in uh, late 1958. We'll also hear an address by Dr. Kwame Nkrumah to African freedom fighters at a conference that was held in Accra, Ghana uh, during 1962. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll take a musical interlude with the Moragoro Jazz Band from the East African state of the United Republic of Tanzania. Let's listen in.
2: Ni goro ngoro manjana Miku mipante wa nyama wengi waonekana Watari Utokanga mwakari mishwa Uje kuona mingi kwenu Mkawasimuli yeho Watari Utokanga mwakari mishwa Uje mengi, kwenu wana jamaa wetu Tanzania Tanzania ina nyama wengi na wajabu wapo wote hao Watari watemwelikishwa kwaona waja wa wetu Tanzania Mwananchi tunaomba kwa karimu kuwatali Watali na karibisho Tanzania Kwaani kuna wanyama wajabu, kama vile tembo, simba kufana mti, undamilia, twiga, kathalika, bahari yetu mzuri, nje uone kilimanjaro mlima Afrika.
1: Uh, the united republic of tanzania and east africa classic um east african pan-african music and uh, right now we want to move into our pan-african newswire segment and of course uh, the program uh is a source of uh, information about uh, what is happening throughout the african world and the international community in general in europe and france the incumbent president, Emmanuel Macron, garnered 58.55% of the vote in the presidential election runoff after the main count of the ballots was completed, according to data published by the Interior Ministry on its website uh, earlier today. Uh, Marine Le Pen of the National Rally Party has mustered 41.5% of the vote. Earlier, uh, Le Pen uh, called her rival to congratulate him On the anticipated victory, while speaking at a rally of her supporters, Le Pen uh, described her performance as a historic success for the party and vowed to carry on fighting during the parliamentary election schedule for the summer. The French Constitutional Council is to announce the final results of the runoff in the middle of the week. The Interior Ministry reported a turnout of 71.99 percent, one of the lowest turnouts in the French runoffs. The turnout dropped lower only in 1969 when 68.9% of the voters showed up at polling stations. About 8.6% of the counted ballots in the latest vote were empty or uh, mismarked. In regard to developments uh, in the Russian intervention in Ukraine, the Russian embassy in Tehran has dismissed reports of alleged deliveries of Iranian weapons to Russia. The rumors that have appeared in some media about Iranian weapons supplies to Russia are fake news and have nothing to do with reality. That's according to the embassy and the Russian embassy. And they uh, said this in a tweet uh, earlier on Sunday. <clears throat> earlier, a number of British medical outlets carried reports of alleged deliveries of weapons, including anti-aircraft missile systems. Uh, from Iraq and Iran to Russia for their subsequent use of special operations in Ukraine. That's according to British media outlets. Both Baghdad and Tehran dismiss uh, these reports as ridiculous. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswise segment of the Pan-African Journal. and other news, in the Horn of Africa state of Ethiopia, <clears throat> according uh, to uh, the uh, Ethiopian Defense Forces uh, Chief of Staff, uh, Field Marshal Bahanu Jula. He said that the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF leader, uh, Debris Deon Gabriel-Michael, this week wrote an open letter to the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, threatening to resort to other means if the peace option is not working. Now, Ethiopian Defense Chief of Staff, Field Marshal Bahanu <coughs> this, saw this, Uh, as a point that the rebel leader is writing to the United Nations uh, Secretary-General as something being outlandish. Uh, In a phone interview uh, with the Ethiopian media services, during the Ethiopian Good Friday, the defense chief tended to place the blame on the United Nations Secretary-General. He read (coughs) Kevorsian's letter and responded to it for General Bahanu Jula, If that happens, it is something tantamount to interfering in the internal affairs of a country and the government will have to respond to that. Uh, Last year, uh, there were reports from Ethiopian publishers that the United Nations was allegedly involved in facilitating tacit support to the TPLF rebel forces after the uh, rebels' captives were caught with nutritious aid food that was meant to be delivered uh, to the people of Tigray. The U.N. agency was also allegedly involved in facilitating support to the TPLF forces in Sudan by way of providing asylum seekers' documentation. Furthermore, hundreds of U.N. trucks uh, that were supposed to be used for humanitarian activity were devoted, diverted uh, for combat activity, something the United Nations Agency in Ethiopia has admitted in what seems to be renewed uh, information war machineries, and machinations. The TPLF leaders this week made claims about U.S.-brokered negotiation with the Ethiopian government regarding the withdrawal of Eritrean and Amhara forces from what they called the West Tigray and Tigray regions. Uh, Sad Khan, uh, Gabriel uh, one of the TPLF leaders who was once chief of the Ethiopian Defense Force when the TPLF was dominant in the central government made claims that Field Marshal Bahanu Ujula uh, was involved in the latest negotiation and that the latter also said during the negotiation, quote, Amhar and Eritrean forces are weak and could easily be made to withdraw from the Tigray region, unquote. Asked if he said so, uh, the Ethiopian defense chief said that he does not know anything about what Sakhan is talking about. He said, I did not meet with Sakhan and where can we meet? I do not understand why he said so, Field Marshal Burhanu said during the interview with the Ethiopian Media Services. However, he made emphasis as to the motives of the claim. uh, One possible reason is for him that there is a serious crisis in the Tigray region, and he claimed to have information about it, and the morale of their forces is low, uh, and the new propaganda is meant to boost the morale of their forces. The second reason, he said, could be a possible attempt to create a spirit of mistrust and suspicion between uh, the countries of Ethiopia and Eritrea. And uh, finally, uh, in regard uh, to development of Sudan, the Sudanese military authorities uh, just two days ago released 25 detainees from the leaders of the resistance committees, the spearheaded uh, groups who have been focusing on the are mobilizing for the anti-coup protests, while all the detained leaders of the forces of freedom and change are still in prison. According to the emergency lawyers, the super prison authorities in Khartoum state released 25 detainees, protesters, and kept 27 others. Also are still in jail. The leaders of the empowerment removal committee, the ERC, and other political activists held in Port Sudan, back and abba island prisons the head uh, of the sydney sovereign council abdel fatah el bahan said last week that he had begun ta- taking measures aimed at to create a conducive environment for dialogue he added that these steps include the release of detainees and a review of the state of emergency during the past months the security authorities arrested neighborhood leaders of the resistance committees also they arrested 19 ffc leading members who are members of the Empowerment Removal Committee citing criminal charges. And with that, we're going to conclude the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of the Pan-African Journal. We want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Uh, Since then, it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you want to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. Just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to have access to today's uh, Pan African Journal, this uh, special uh, worldwide uh, radio broadcast, uh, all you need to do is go to our website at the Pan African Radio Network, and that's at uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, dot com forward slash pan-african journal that's blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash pan-african journal and um, if you'd like to uh, share these programs with other potential listeners uh, just go uh, as well uh, and uh, click on uh, a link to any one of these programs or the entire pan-african newswire website these can be shared via email uh, the links can be copied and pasted on other blogs and websites, as well as social media networks. They can be shared uh, on those as well. And uh, this is uh, Abayomi Azikwe, and uh, we're here at the Pan-African Radio Network. And uh, we'd like to, of course, um, listen uh, to some more music, and uh, we'll be back uh, with more of uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment and uh, the Pan-African Journal. Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for the early morning hour of uh, Monday, April 25th, uh, 2022. Uh, We're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners uh, for uh, tuning in uh, once again uh, to another edition uh, of our program. And, of course, uh, we are here on a uh, regular basis uh, discussing uh, some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. And, of course, uh, these uh, issues, of course, relate uh, to what we talked about earlier uh, in the uh, Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of this program, uh, the Pan-African Journal, uh, covering uh, developments in the Horn of Africa, uh, developments in all parts of Africa, and indeed uh, throughout the African world in general. And then, of course, uh, the international issues, uh, which uh, have a compelling uh, impact uh, on uh, the African continent, uh, and indeed uh, the African world in general. And, of course, uh, these also include uh, the current situation in Ukraine, and, of course, uh, we're going to bring you right now a very important interview, rare interview, uh, that was conducted uh, with uh, the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov. This was not done, of course, over United States television or British television. It was done in India, over India today. And uh, we're going to listen uh, to this interview, uh, which is uh, almost an hour uh, from uh, the other side, so to speak, uh, in regard to what we hear on both the uh, British as well as uh, the U.S. uh, media in regards to the situation in Ukraine and the motivations and rationale of the Russian Federation. Let's listen in.
3: All right, let me quickly cut across to Geeta Mohan, who is currently in talks with Sergey Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, right
0: here, exclusive on India Today. this is an india today exclusive the first interview to an indian channel and one of the first few to an international network i'm being joined by russia's foreign minister mr sergey lavrov thank you so much for joining us here on india today sir nice to see you the big question that most are asking is the reason for this operation the reason for president putin to take the country to war at a time when uh, we've seen negotiations and talks taking place. What was the reason, we know that America said that Russia is going to carry out operations. New Delhi certainly was not aware of it. Many countries said that it is not something that is going to happen, but it did happen.
4: The real reason is the uh, complacency of the most countries in the world after the end of World War II when our Western colleagues led by the United States declared themselves winners and in violation of their promises to the Soviet and Russian leadership started moving uh, NATO eastward they kept saying don't worry this is uh, a defensive alliance Uh, it's not uh, a threat to your Russian uh, security but uh, defensive alliance it was when uh, there were uh, NATO and the Warsaw Treaty. And there was the Bergen Wall, as you remember, uh, both physical and uh, geopolitical. And it was very clear what is the line of defense for this defensive alliance. When the uh, opponent disappeared, both the Warsaw Treaty disappeared and the Soviet Union disappeared, they decided that they will move the line of defense eastward. And they did this five times without explaining uh, against whom they're going to defend themselves, but uh, in the process, building the advance assault capacities and choosing the former Soviet Republics, especially Ukraine, as the springboard uh, against the Russian uh, interests. and. Uh, As early as 2003, for example, when they, in Ukraine, had uh, another presidential election, the West was publicly and bluntly demanding from Ukrainians, you must choose, are you with Russia or with Europe? Uh, And then, of course, uh, they started uh, pulling Ukraine into European Union Association Agreement. Hmm. The agreement uh, provided for zero tariffs for Ukrainian goods into Europe and European goods in Ukraine and we did have free trade area agreement with Ukraine in the context of Commonwealth of Independent States. So we told our Ukrainian neighbors, guys, we have zero tariffs with you but we have protection with European Union because we negotiated WTO entry for 18 years and we did manage to protect uh, with uh, considerable tariffs for some period of time, uh, some sectors of the Russian economy, agriculture, uh, insurance, uh, banking and some others. So we told them if you have zero with Europe and zero with us, we are not protected against European goods, which was the part of the deal when we entered WTO. Mm. So then when Ukrainian president in 2013 uh, understood the problem. He asked the European Union to postpone the signature of the association agreement, and we suggested that the three of us, Russia, Ukraine, and EU, uh, could sit together and discuss how to proceed. The European Union, in a very arrogant way, uh, said that this is none of your business. We don't put our nose in your trade with China, with other countries. So this is going to happen. And then the president of Ukraine decided to postpone this uh, ceremony and next morning uh, the demonstrators were in Maidan so to say in Kiev and they started the protests in early December 2013 which culminated with some bloody uh, events uh, in, in February and the European Union helped negotiate a deal between the president and the opposition next morning the signatures of the European Union representatives, France, Germany, and Poland, were absolutely ignored by the opposition who stayed, staged the coup and wow. declared that they are creating the government of the winners, that they will cancel the special status of the Russian language. Uh, they threatened to uh, throw Russian, ethnic Russians away from Crimea. They sent armed groups to storm the Crimean parliament. And uh, that's how the war started. And when Crimeans said, we don't want to have anything with you, leave us alone, uh, as I said, they they were under uh, the threat of the armed groups. And then they staged this referendum, and the eastern areas of Ukraine said, "Uh, guys, we we don't support your coup, leave us alone. They never attacked the rest of Ukraine. The putschists attacked them, having called them, Terrorists, And they called them terrorists for the eight years, for the long eight years. Uh, we managed to stop this bloodshed in February 2015. The so-called Minsk agreements were signed, providing the uh, eastern Ukraine with some special status language, the right to have some local police, uh, special economic relations with the adjacent Russian regions, uh, well, basically the same as uh, uh, European Union negotiated for the north of Kosovo where Serbs live. In both cases, the European Union failed totally to deliver on what was guaranteed by the signatures of its members. And for the eight long years, the... Uh, respective governments of Ukraine and presidents of Ukraine were bluntly, publicly saying that they are not going to implement the Minsk agreements, that they will uh, move to plan B. Uh, they continued to shell uh, the territories uh, of these uh, proclaimed republics uh, during all these years. And uh, we want the Europeans, the Americans and the Ukrainian government that They are ignoring something which was endorsed by the United Nations Security Council, to no avail. My last point, uh, I understand that people don't want to go back into this history because they prefer to take events uh, on their immediate uh, merit, but the events, uh, indeed, uh, these particular events are rooted in the desire of the United States and what we call collective West uh, to rule to dominate the world, uh, and uh, to just show to everybody that there would be no multipolarity. It would be only unipolarity, and that they can declare Iraq, Syria, Libya, Yugoslavia located 10,000 miles from the United States threats to their security, and can do whatever they please there, leveling the cities like they did in Mosul in Iraq. and. Raqqa in syria but when russia is warning all its colleagues that just on our borders you have been creating a springboard against us you have been pumping arms into ukraine you have been totally ignoring the legislation of ukraine which prohibited completely prohibited the russian language you have been ignoring legislation which have been uh, encouraging uh, neo-Nazi ideology and practices, and the right. neo-Nazi battalions, which were, uh, you know, very much active against the territories uh, who proclaimed themselves independent uh, and who were promised special status, uh, it's inside Ukraine. So, and well, of course, the, the very latest development in, because it was all linked. Uh, uh, with Ukraine becoming NATO springboard and NATO expansion and they were saying that Ukraine uh, will be in NATO nobody can stop Ukraine if it so wishes. and then President Zelensky said that he might think about coming back to possess nuclear weapons and in November last year my president uh, suggested to the United States and to NATO to sit down uh, to cool off and to discuss how we can agree on security guarantees without further expansion of NATO eastward. Right. They refused. Uh, and in the process, Ukrainian army um, radically intensified the shelling of those republics uh, in violation of all ceasefire agreements. And we didn't have any other choice uh, but to recognize them, to sign mutual assistance treaties with them and in response to their request to send uh, our troops as part of the special operation to protect their lives.
0: You've uh, provided basis, history as well as the present context, sir. But uh, you also said, President Putin himself said, that this is not targeting civilians or the citizens, people of Ukraine. It is to do with the administration. Now, we know that in international foreign policy parlance, it has been used quite often, not in my backyard. America says it all the time. Many other countries say it. But should an entire people, should an entire population be punished for an administration wanting to carry out independent foreign policy?
4: Uh, I don't think uh, it's, it's about any independence. Since uh, 2013 and maybe even earlier, hundreds and hundreds of the U.S., U.K., and other Western security and military experts have been openly sitting in the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian security uh, apparatus and they basically were running the place. Uh, As for the uh, civilians, immediately when this special operation in response to the request from Donetsk and Lugansk and then uh, full compliance with the Article 51 of the United Nations Charter when it was announced by President Putin. He said that the sole purpose of this operation is to demilitarize and denazify Ukrainians because these are uh, two uh, intimately linked problems of that country uh, and we have been targeting only military infrastructure. Unfortunately, the Ukrainian uh, army and so-called nationalist battalions which are using uh, Nazi insignia, swastika, uh, which was borrowed from Indian history but uh, twisted the wrong way, uh, and the insignias of uh, waffen ss battalions. Uh, these people were using and continue to use uh, civilians as a human shield. They were placing uh, the heavy weapons in the middle of the uh, towns and cities next to schools next to kindergartens to hospitals and uh, the internet uh, is is full with the testimonies of the people uh, who were living in those places and who were asking these people not to do this unfortunately uh, not uh, not any. Nobody in the West actually pays attention to the facts which we have been providing. Instead, they're staging uh, some uh, fake situations like a few couple of weeks ago in the place called Bucha, where the uh, Russian troops left uh, on the 30th of March, I think, and for three days the city was back in the hands of Ukrainian administration, the mayor of Bucha was publicly saying that we are back the city is back to the normal life and only on the fourth day they started showing images of dozens of corpses lying in the street uh, which was only a few days before shown as being back to normalcy so this kind and then a few days later in the city of Kramatorsk which was fully uh, in the Ukrainian hands they uh, summoned people to the railway station and uh, attacked them with the uh, missile .U missile and it was proven beyond any doubt that the missile was fired by the Ukrainian army that's why next morning it was out of the news uh, in the west because the obvious nature of this provocation was understood by everybody. Now the New York Times says that they have the proof that uh, uh, that the cluster bombs uh, mm-hmm. were used by the Ukrainian army. So speaking of uh, civilians and the rules of international humanitarian law, uh, I can once again assure you that our army uh, operates against the military infrastructure and not against civilians.
0: Mr. Lavrov, sir, the fact that you you said that Russian forces have only targeted military facilities. Now, even if there are military facilities or tanks that have been placed in uh, civilian areas, Russian forces did not show restraint in taking them down. And hence, there are civilians who've been killed. There has been bloodshed, whether it is uh, the outskirts of Kiev, primarily Mariupol, Volnovakha, absolutely raised to the ground, some responsibility will have to be taken by the Russian also on the bloodshed?
4: It's, it's, uh, always, it's always terrible when uh, uh, military activities uh, bring damage to the civilians and to civilian sector, to civilian infrastructure. As I said, when people who have been killing Russian, ethnic Russians citizens of Ukraine in the East for eight years uh, without any uh, TV representatives, uh, be it Asian, be it African, be it Latin American, be it European, be it the United States paying any attention to this. When the Russian journalists have been working on the Republican line of contact side, 24-7 showing the atrocities committed by the Ukrainian neo-Nazis and Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, During those years, uh, no single uh, foreign journalist cared to come to the other part of this line of contact to see uh, what was going on there. And the statistics available through Organization of the Security and Cooperation in Europe indicated that the damage afflicted to the civilians and to the civilian infrastructure on the side of the republics, proclaimed republics, was five times more and bigger than the same uh, figure uh, for the for the territory controlled by the Ukrainian government. This is not to say that uh, we can, you know, uh, just ignore the victims and the damage uh, to the civilian infrastructure, but once again, I want, I want to emphasize a very important thing. This outcry started only when the Russians decided to protect Russians who are citizens of Ukraine and who were absolutely discriminated. There was, no, there was no outcry when the city of Raqqa, for example, in Syria was leveled with dozens and hundreds of corpses lying there unattended for weeks and weeks, the American military never had any scruples about achieving their military goals, be it in Syria, be it in Iraq, be it uh, in Afghanistan for that matter. And uh, this is a tragedy when people die. But we cannot, we cannot tolerate the situation when our Western colleagues say that we can do anything we want. And we can encourage the government in Kiev to be as russophobic as it takes. We will not tell them uh, to stop prohibiting the Russian language. In education, and media, we would not tell them uh, to, to ban uh, all Russian-speaking uh, channels, including Ukrainian channels. We would not tell them uh, not to persecute the opposition uh, who favors some dialogue with Russia and we would not tell them to stop violating their commitments to give special status to these territories where Russian-speaking population dominates.
0: You make a very important point, sir, because India today has traveled to Donetsk and we have been putting out those reports. And they're important because it is is important to understand uh, the the, the plight of Russian descent and Russian-speaking people in Ukraine, and there is no taking away from that and we will talk about Donbass, but coming back to the allegations against Russia on genocide, on war crimes, and on the fact that chemical weapons have been used by Russian forces. What do you have to say to the visuals? You're saying that uh, there were no bodies. There were bodies in the basements that, were, that have been found much later, that would have been found anyway much later. Uh, will there be no investigation that will be carried out, why just say that uh, it did not happen?
4: We are investigating the atrocities of the neo battalions of uh, Ukraine and of Ukrainian armed forces. There is a special commission created uh, in uh, Russian uh, um, the chamber. Uh, we have it. Uh, uh, Anyway, there is a public organization uh, which is uh, very experienced. They have been discovering the fakes staged by so-called white helmets in Syria, uh, in uh, many other cases, and we will not cease our efforts to establish the truth. Uh, we are used to the fact that the United States, United Kingdom, and other Western countries Uh, Have a very uh, interesting habit. They just throw in a news when they when they uh, believe this news would work uh, ideologically for their benefit. And then, when it comes to facts, and when more and more facts are discovered which put big question mark uh, on their assertion, they just lose interest. Uh, 2007, uh, London. Uh, Poisoning of Mr. Litvinenko Hmm. Huge outcry The trial begins uh, And after a few weeks The trial is is, is made public Which in UK means secret Until now we cannot get the facts About what actually happened to Mr. Litvinenko Uh, 2014 Malaysian uh, airlines Boeing Shot down over Ukraine we presented huge amount of facts. Uh, we requested that we be part of the investigation. No way. Ukrainians, who did not close the disguise during the conflict, were invited to this special investigation group. Russia was not. Malaysia, as the owner of the plane, was invited only five months later, after the uh, Australians, uh, the Dutch, and Malaysians agreed among themselves that anything coming out of this group must be subject to consensus, meaning Ukraine, which did not close the skies, had veto power on this investigation. So we could not get the truth on this one as well. 2019, Salisbury poisoning, the people disappeared. The only, the only proof uh, which was made public is uh, highly likely as Theresa May said hmm. they, they, The Brits insisted on expulsion uh, of Russian diplomats by most of the European countries and when I asked my friends did they provide the proof uh, beyond the public statements about highly likely it was Russia? They said no, but they promised to. I checked uh, one year later whether this was done it was not done and so on and so forth 2020 our opposition blogger Mr. Navalny was poisoned we asked the Germans and we immediately you know, responded to the German request to let him go to the uh, Berlin hospital 24 hours later after the request he was, he was uh, flown to Berlin we don't have any confirmation who was flying with him, where did they get the bottle which is the uh, key uh, you know, element uh, in, in this investigation. And when we asked the Germans to show us the formula which, uh, which they discovered in his body, they said this is military secret. It is us who until now insist on the truth about Litvinenko, about the Three pulse about the Malaysian Boeing, and about Navalny, the stories which they uh, stage in Ukraine these days are from the same uh, nature.
0: Going back to the investigations, you are saying that the Azov Battalion and absolutely shameful. Yes, they should be investigated. They are not. Uh, they are, they are uh, neo-Nazis, and they should not have been incorporated and integrated into any military regime in any country. But will you introspect and look at your own people as well? Is there any, instead of denying and rejecting claims, will there be an investigation uh, against your own people? If they have done wrong, will they be held accountable? We
4: have our uh, law which prohibits the military to do anything uh, which is not allowed under international humanitarian law. Any violations are absolutely registered and investigated and uh, I will I will uh, on Azov it's interesting you mentioned it because uh, Azov was listed in the United States I think in 2014 or 2015 uh, as a group which cannot be uh, supported which cannot legitimately operate and it was prohibited by Congress Uh, to provide any assistance uh, to this battalion. Everybody forgot about this, uh, or rather they certainly remember what this group is about, uh, and they decided to put their money on this group. In Japan, as you know, they passed a special uh, decree by the government that Azov is no longer a neo nazi group, and the Japanese government apologizes for listing Azov some time ago as such. Uh, and of course when President Zelensky uh, in his camouflage uh, was asked about Azov by another Journalist uh, who who felt you know that something was wrong with these neo nazi trends and Zelensky said quietly well Azov they are what they are We have many groups like this. They are, part, they are part of our army President And, and this and excuse me you uh, I mean the media started asking questions about Azov, only when the military operation was launched. For the long eight years, nobody lifted a finger. nobody bothered uh, you know, about, about what, was, what was being groomed in Ukraine, uh, as uh, probably a continuation, or rather, a resurrection of what was uh, boiling in Europe in 1930s.
0: President Zelensky said that uh, Russia plans to use tactical nuclear weapons.
4: He says many things. And depends that depends, depends, used depends on weapons. what he drinks or what he, or, or what he smokes. He says many things.
0: Do you think it was an, uh, it was a strategic miscalculation by President Zelensky to take on Russia when there was no certain assurance from NATO and the European Union that they would actually back uh, Ukraine?
4: President Zelensky <laughs> came came to power. Uh, with the promise of peace, uh, and he said that he will reach peace uh, on the basis of the Minsk agreements. A few months later, he said he cannot implement the Minsk agreements uh, because the Minsk agreements uh, are not uh, uh, unimplementable.
0: Because the forces he said were DPR and no, LPR. No, 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 no. no. It was,
4: it was, he, 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 he never said that. You know, this was because of. Uh, the military situation on the ground. He said that it's unthinkable for Ukraine to give special status to any part of of its territory. Uh, But it was very thinkable, if I may say so, uh, when Ukraine was created to put together the territories which now in the West never celebrate the victory day, 9th of May. And on the other hand, the territories in the East, uh, which would never celebrate the heroes honored in the West, those who collaborated with Hitler. So with this uh, difficult composition of territories, to say that Ukraine can only be a unitary state, and that I would not give special status to these people, even uh, if the Security Council demands so, it was, uh, I, I believe, it was not very far-sighted. Uh, had had he cooperated as he promised for his uh, electorate when he was elected, had he cooperated in implementing the Minsk agreements, uh, the the crisis would have been over long ago. Did
0: the West betray Zelensky?
4: No, I think the the West played Zelensky against Russia, and did everything to to strengthen him and the uh, desire. To ignore the Minsk agreements. Well, the West is, is a, you know, a broad notion. It's the United States and the, the Brits. Uh, the rest of the West, including the European Union, is now just obedient servant.
0: So tactical nu- uh, nuclear weapons, will Russia ever use them, deploy them? Ah,
4: Zelensky, we never mentioned about this. He mentioned this. So his uh, intelligence must have provided him with some use. I cannot comment something which uh, a not very adequate person pronounces.
0: As a P5 member, as a nuclear power, will nuclear be an option at all? Is it on the table at all?
4: Uh, When uh, the Soviet Union and the United States in 1987, Gorbachev and Reagan, Uh, decided that they have special responsibility for peace on this planet they signed a solemn declaration that there could be no winners in a nuclear war and therefore nuclear war must never be launched Uh, after the Trump administration uh, came, came to office we have been Telling them because you know the, the, the tensions were aggravated, uh, and we said, why don't we try to send a positive political message to the to the entire universe and to reiterate what Gorbachev and Reagan pronounced? They during all the, the four years of the administration they they refused to do so, hmm. but we were really encouraged when President Biden was inaugurated. Uh, five days after his inauguration. And we have repeated this, this offer. Uh, he first uh, agreed to extend the START treaty without any preconditions, uh, which the Trump administration was not ready to do. And in June, when uh, in June 2021, when they met with uh, President Putin in Geneva, they issued this declaration. On our initiative, this declaration was issued. After the Americans and the Russians said that there must be no nuclear war, don't even think about it, we started to promote the same uh, commitment in the context of the P5. Not the United States, not UK, not France, Russia. And eventually, earlier this year, in January this year, the P5 at the level of the presidents and heads of government issued the statement which we initiated and which we were pushing through for all these years.
0: So nuclear is off the table, only last resort. This (coughs) statement,
4: both the Russian-American statement and the P5 summit statement were issued on the strong insistence of the Russian Federation.
0: Coming back to the Donbas region, DPR, LPR. And now it has become non-negotiable for Russia, the independence of these republics, when you talk to Ukraine. What happens if the negotiations succeed between Ukraine and Russia, and should there be a settlement? Will Russia then withdraw from other areas, Sumy, Kharkiv, Zaporizhia? Uh, Kherson, Nikolai, so and you Odessa.
4: And you can be a spy. <laughs> <laughs> I am no, not, di- not discussing the military operation the, for obvious reasons. Uh, it is it is never the case. Uh, uh, and uh, on the territorial uh, situation, yes, we rec- recognize them and the administrative boundaries of the former Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republics, hmm. and the Minsk agreements were signed uh, when uh, these two territories were uh, split uh, roughly uh, half and half. Uh, and now these republics, uh, the, the militias of these republics, are fighting to get their territory back. Because when they held referendum in 2014, It was held on the entire territories of the former regions.
5: Hmm.
4: But then the uh, coup leaders uh, started the war, uh, which they called anti-terrorist operation, Hmm. uh, and they took considerable chunk of of both regions. So yes, we recognize them in their declared territories uh, as a result of 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 referendum.
0: Which, in fact, includes Mariupol and Volnovakha as part of Donetsk. My question is whether if if there is a settlement between the two sides and uh, they recognize, which President Zelensky has said he will not. He says that they are going to fight for Donbass to the very end. So where are the red lines then?
4: I I cannot uh, intelligently discuss what President Zelensky says because he always changes his mind, uh, you know, diametrically. He was initiator uh, of the negotiations, which we accepted. Uh, At some point, uh, we were disappointed because they were changing their mind every time and uh, coming late, leaving early. But then in Istanbul, uh, about one month ago, I think, in March, it was um, a couple of weeks ago, in Istanbul, they brought a paper saying, we are not going to be... Uh, a member of any military alliance, we will be neutral, Uh, we uh, will ask, in in return, we will ask for guarantees, security guarantees, preferably P5, maybe some others. And these guarantees, it was written and initialed by the Mm -hmm. head of the delegation, these security guarantees which we are asking for, they will not cover Crimea and the territories in the east of Ukraine. It was not our language, it was their language. Now President Zelensky says, no way. Well, they started uh, you know, backtracking even earlier, uh, but this, this is a paper with the signature of the head of their delegation. So, before we can intelligently discuss uh, what he says one day or another, uh, we need to have clarity about the, about the clarity, about credibility of this person and about his team.
0: Was there any understanding on, uh, in Istanbul on the withdrawal of Russian troops from Kyiv as well? Was there an understanding as to why, uh, why we, we, Russia uh, withdrew from Moscow? We changed configuration
4: call? of our presence, uh, and this was announced immediately after Istanbul, that since we believed that they brought something which could serve as a basis, we uh, made a goodwill gesture and we changed configuration in the Kyiv and Chernigov area. And uh, this was uh, not appreciated at all. Instead, this butcher thing was immediately staged uh, and, uh, and played uh, like... Uh, like Skripals were played in Salisbury, like uh, Malaysian Boeing, like Navalny played, but immediately, uh, you know, put aside when the hard facts were presented, which they cannot uh, cannot challenge.
0: I travel to Zaporizhia. There are uh, mayors that have been appointed now by Russia in Berdyansk and Melitopol, and they're saying that they will hold referendum, that they're not going to go back to Ukraine
4: that's the uh, is
0: that the uh,
4: most democracy oh. right referendum
0: so we are looking people's, at referendum
4: people saying what they want
0: but, so then, which means that you're securing your land boundary in Sumian Kharkiv but also the waters uh, if you look at Zaporizhia, Mykolaiv well, and all people, the other people, areas when,
4: when people have been suffering have when an people need. have been suffering in all these places for long 8 years uh, okay. where nazis uh, war you know prohibiting them to speak their own language, prohibiting them to sell it to commemorate the heroes of World War II, of the Great Patriotic War, prohibiting, you know, to have parades and to have any events to commemorate the, the fallen, the parents, the grandparents of these people. And now when they have thrown away those neonacists and say that now we will decide who will be running the place, this is our mayor, this is our legislation, le- legislature. Uh, I believe this is the, the manifestation of democracy after so, many, after so many years of oppression.
0: It seems like Ukraine has lost more land than they would have gained by negotiating on Donbas.
4: It's uh, the decision of those who have been running Ukraine, uh, of those who have been, uh, who have been sabotaging the Minsk agreements in spite of the Security Council, UN Security Council decision. We are, not, we are not up for the regime change in Ukraine. We have said this repeatedly. We want the Ukrainians themselves decide how they want to live first, in a way which would not repeat the Minsk agreements when they did decide that they don't want to do anything with the coup leaders who immediately said that they are against anything Russian, culture, language, everything which these people cherished. And then they were uh, promised uh, something by the European Union and uh, cheated. So we want the people to be free to decide how they want to live in Ukraine.
0: Russia is one of the most sanctioned countries in the world. How long can you sustain
4: I don't think, I don't think we uh, are thinking in the uh, context of sustaining. Sustaining means, you know, you sustain, uh, you, you know, take some hardships and uh, hope that soon, sooner or later, this would be over. <clears throat> the decisions which we uh, have been uh, taking During not only this period But for many years Because Russia has been uh, under sanctions uh, all along hmm. uh, Jackson Wenig we Then Jackson Wenig was repealed But Magnitsky Act was introduced Then uh, we were punished for the uh, free vote of the Crimeans Uh, we were punished for supporting those uh, who were uh, in favor of keeping the Minsk agreements but the Ukrainian government didn't want them to get what they were promised and so on on and so forth so now we have come to a very uh, straightforward conclusion Uh, we cannot rely uh, on uh, our western colleagues in any part of our life, which has strategic significance, be it food security, uh, which we managed to ensure ourselves after 2014, uh, be it uh, of course defense, and be it some strategic sectors uh, where high tech uh, is developing and uh, indicating the, the future of the of the mankind. Uh, We did not have time to uh, achieve uh, self-sufficiency in all these areas, but in most cases uh, we resolved this issue. And, of course, uh, we are open to cooperation with all other countries uh, who do not use uh, illegal or legitimate unilateral measures in violation of the UN Charter. And uh, India is among those. Uh, We cooperate bilaterally. I visited a month ago, a couple of months ago uh, and uh, we cooperate in many international organizations.
0: Speaking of India, India is under immense pressure to sever ties, to cut down imports of energy, of fuel, Uh, but India has stood, stood its ground. In terms of reliability, Is there a concern that India should have with regards to the kind of defense cooperation both countries have? Could there be delays in deliveries of critical weapon systems that India is buying from Russia, such as the S-400? What is the conversation that you've been having with New Delhi on this front?
4: Well, India is our very, very old friend. Uh, And uh, we called our relationship long ago, strategic partnership then about 20 years ago the Indian friends said why why don't we call it why don't we call it uh, privileged strategic Mm -hmm. partnership and sometime later they said not enough let's call it especially privileged strategic partnership this is this is the unique description of any bilateral relations uh, I think of India and of Russia Uh, and with India Uh, We have, you know, long before all this became uh, such a hot potato uh, We supported uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's uh, concept make in India And we started, uh, you know, substituting the the, uh, simple trade with uh, local production Shifting production of the goods uh, needed by India on your territory and it was for quite a number of years already that we have been uh, promoting the use of our national currencies in settlements between between the companies of two countries and the governments of two countries, uh, promoting the national uh, financial information systems, uh, transmission systems. When you trans- like SWIFT, you know, yes. but you have your own, we have our own, and they are being used more and more. Uh, payment cards. We have Mir system. You have RuPay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are mutually uh, supportive, and uh, it's uh, it's not you know a huge percentage of of the overall volume of trade, but it is steadily growing. And on defense, uh, we can provide anything India wants, and the technology transfer in the context of defense cooperation is absolutely unprecedented for any of India's uh, outside partners.
0: We have a waiver from the United States of America for the S-400s, but future collaborations, could that become difficult?
4: You know, when, uh, when the Americans uh, say that they are in favor of democracy all over the world, uh, they mean only very specific thing, that it is up to them to decide who is democracy and who deserves to have some uh, good attitude on behalf of Washington. When they convene, uh, convene this summit of democracies, uh, you only need to look through the, through the list of invitees to understand that it's not about real democracies, it's about something else. And. Uh, When the Americans now run all over the world, the ambassadors have the priority, number one, uh, to go every morning to the foreign ministry, to the government of the country where they serve, and to say, you must stop talking to Russia. You must join sanctions against Russia. And, uh, well, I understand, because uh, long before this crisis, uh, I have been... Uh, Talking to the Americans to the Europeans. I told them when you say democracy 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 uh, And you always uh, at the conferences want this language uh, rule of law and democracy and I, uh, I asked them what about adding that apart from National level we want democracy and the rule of law Internationally they don't like it and when they and when they push everybody uh, in, you know, in this uh, uh, camp anti-Russian camp uh, and when they go to India when they go to China to Turkey, to Egypt countries with their own thousand years of history of civilization of culture and when they are not even ashamed to publicly tell you what to do I believe uh, something is wrong not only with the manners, which always has been the case, but something is wrong with, menta- wrong with mentality. And when uh, you spoke about S-400, when Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State of the United States, says, we, the United States, have not yet decided whether to introduce sanctions against India for S-400s publicly they have not yet decided what is good for you and his uh, uh under secretary wendy sherman lately said we must help india to understand what is important for its security how about that but
0: i suppose your counterpart gave them a befitting reply on on how to conduct one's foreign policy
4: Dr. Absolutely. Jay i i respect uh, subramanian shankar very much he is a seasoned diplomat and he is a real patriot of his country when he said we will be taking the decisions on the basis of what India believes it needs for its development, for its security it's it's respectful. Not too many countries can can say uh, something like this.
0: But you mentioned China. For us the China factor is very important. Russia has a unique relationship when it comes to ties with China and ties with India. You mentioned United States of America, so I, again, I'm going to go back to US. Uh, recently, in one of the visits, the Deputy National Security Advisor said, should India continue ties with Russia, there will be consequences. And if China, he said, if China, again, if there is such an incident at the LAC, then US will not come to India's rescue. There are two, uh, the statement is flawed, because there are two points, one, he said, should there be another incident not recognizing that the Chinese are still on Indian soil. Secondly, he said that they will not come to India's rescue. They had not come in the first place. But where does Russia stand?
4: Well, With we, kind st- of we stand in favor of resolving any conflicts on the basis of uh, arrangements negotiated directly between the parties. Like, just quoting for, uh, once again, uh, Ukraine, just like it was in Ukraine when the two parties the rebels as they are called the separatists as they are called for us they are self-proclaimed republics on the one side and the government which came to power as a result of the coup on the other side had a deal negotiated and endorsed by the security council it's another method that the government uh, with the uh, instigation of the west failed to deliver but the, the method is uh, the one which, is, uh, which, which we believe should be applied everywhere. We welcomed, after those incidents on the border, uh, we welcomed the resumption of the discussions between the military of India and China, uh, the discussions between the politicians, at the level of the foreign ministers, uh, and we hope that this would be resolved. We would never say, you know, we would not, we cannot... Uh, Use those threats which are absolutely normal for the Americans, uh, or else there would be consequences. It's the favorite, uh, you know, statements. Uh, those are favorite statements. But what we would like to do as Russia, we would like to promote uh, the formats where India and Russia and China participate together. Uh, it started. In 1996-1997, when uh, Russia's foreign minister at that time, Evgeny Primakov, Mm -hmm. suggested uh, RIC format, Troika, Russia, India, China, and uh, it uh, happened, and we continue uh, to to convene in this format. Uh, I think last November there was probably ministerial meeting number 20. And not only foreign ministers, but ministers of economy, ministers of trade, uh, political scientists meet. Uh, Maybe this is not uh, very much publicized, but it is a very useful format. And we were uh, very much uh, in favor, even we were the leading force in Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, to promote uh, full membership of India together with Pakistan. Uh, in, this, in this organization, which is also giving another, another premise for China and India to be together in the company of their neighbors and to build more confidence, to build more confidence.
0: Finally, before I let you go, sir, Europe is looking to halt gas from Russia, yes. Come, uh, gas from Russia. Come summer, they might, their policies might get harsher but you're looking at de-dollarization of the global market global energy market by dealing in rubles how do you propose to do that should they start
4: halting there would be no change uh, for the uh, Europeans and other countries who buy our gas uh, the reason for this decision was uh, very simple and obvious when they uh, frozen uh, the russian uh, assets and dollars and euros and yen uh, and uh, pound sterling for the amount of more than 300 billion euros or dollars uh, those were mostly the money kept in Western banks uh, after we received payment from them from from the Western countries for our gas deliveries in other words They paid us, and they stole the money from us. uh, Because those were uh, the currencies which are linked to the Western banking system. So what we told them to do, uh, they would not be paying directly to Gazprom, uh, to Gazprom accounts abroad, they would be paying to a bank. It's called Gazprom Bank, it's an independent Mm -hmm. entity. They would be paying the same amount which they have to pay under the existing contracts, but they would pay these uh, this amounts to special account which they have to open in this bank. And there would be a parallel account in rubles. So they pay euros, and then inside this bank, these euros are transferred to the ruble account, and then from this account, Gazprom itself receives rubles. So, so there would not- be...
0: So you're not running losses at all on the money that uh, Russia has to receive from Europe? You're not running losses or there's no money that has been stopped, that rubles is coming in?
4: Exactly, because as of now they would not be able to to keep the money in in their banks, the money which they not even owe us, which they paid to us already.
5: Hmm. Uh,
4: I I believe this is something which does not contradict contracts. They would still be paying in euros or dollars or whatever was the currency of the contract. Uh, but we will have uh, insurance that this robbery would not happen again.
0: Finally, sir, so before I let you go, eastern Ukraine, I have to go back to that, uh, that, that question. Intensification of uh, war efforts now in eastern Ukraine. Is it trigger the flagship Moscow uh, warship that uh, sunk? What really happened there? Is that one of the triggers now why we see more intensification against Ukraine no, on this, the Eastern part?
4: This, this uh, operation in the east of Ukraine uh, is uh, uh, aimed, as was announced from the very beginning, to fully liberate the Donetsk and Lugansk republics. And this operation uh, will, will continue. It is beginning, uh, I mean, another stage of this operation is beginning, uh, and I'm sure this will be... Uh, a very important moment of this entire special operation.
0: And what happened to the warship? If you it's could uh, it's uh,
4: for the Ministry of Defense. Uh, they explained what happened, and I cannot add anything to this.
0: On that note, may thanks for joining us here on India Today. Indeed, a pleasure, sir.
4: Thank you very much.
0: That was the Foreign Minister of Russia speaking exclusively to India Today. With that, we slip into a short break. News and updates continue here on India Today.
1: Welcome back, and indeed a groundbreaking uh, interview uh, with uh, India today uh, with Russian Federation Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, uh, where he spells out uh, the Russian Federation's position, its foreign policy in regard to the situation in Ukraine, the role of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, uh, the overall international situation as it involves trade, uh, with the Russian Federation and other states uh, throughout the world, uh this is information that uh, we're not receiving uh, here in the United States uh, from uh, the based locally based uh, media outlets uh, which have only been talking uh, in very disingenuous terms from the u s perspective on uh, what is actually behind uh, this military conflict that is taking place in eastern europe the historic role of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and also the actual interests of the Russian Federation and its allies in Eastern Europe. You're listening to uh, the Pan African Journal, uh, this special worldwide radio broadcast. We're here uh, during the early morning hours of Monday, uh, April the 25th, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, and uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for uh, this week. Welcome back and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal special worldwide radio broadcast that is Detroit's own Marvelettes uh, with the tune entitled Danger Heartbreak uh, Straight Ahead. And uh, we're here uh, during the early morning hours of Monday, April 25th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And in just two days, uh, we'll represent the 50th anniversary of the transition of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah uh, was one of the leading figures of the Pan-African and socialist movement uh, during the 20th century. Uh, He, of course, intervened in the struggle uh, as early as the 1930s in the United States uh, as he studied for 10 years as a student. Uh, He was one of the lead organizers in the African Students Association in the United States and also met and interacted uh, with figures uh, such as uh, W.B. Du Bois, uh, the Garvey Movement uh, in Philadelphia, as well as uh, C.L.R. James and uh, others, including uh, W. Alpheus Hunton. In uh, 1945, uh, he left the United States uh, to go to England uh, to study at the uh, London School of Economics, became uh, deeply entrenched uh, in the anti-colonial and Pan-African struggle served as a organizer uh, for the 5th Pan-African Congress in Manchester in 1945. In 1947, uh, he returned uh, to the Gold Coast, uh, as Ghana was known at that time, to work for the United Gold Coast Convention. Uh, Within a year and a half, uh, he had formed his own political party, the Convention People's Party, which led the struggle to national independence in 1957. Uh, We're going to listen uh, to... A interview uh, with uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah from the Meet the Press American News Program uh, from December of 1958, uh, during a visit uh, by Dr. Kwame Nkrumah to the United States. And, of course, uh, they are questioning him about uh, his loyalties to uh, the imperialist countries, uh, his views on democracy internally within uh, Ghana, as well as other uh, foreign policy issues, such as the status of the uh, State of Israel, uh, the U.S. uh, intervention in Lebanon in 1958, and other issues. Uh, Let's listen in uh, to this rare archival audio file from Meet the Press in December of 1958, where the special guest was Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, then Prime Minister of Ghana
6: brings you Meet the Press, the prize-winning interview program produced by Lawrence C. Spivak. Four of America's top news reporters are ready
7: for this unrehearsed news conference. Here's the moderator of Meet the Press, Lawrence Spivak. Welcome once again to Meet the Press. Our guest today is Dr. Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana, the newest independent African state. Dr. Nkrumah has come to this country at the invitation of President Eisenhower. Dr. Nkrumah was born in Ghana, but received much of his adult education in the United States. For 10 years, he was at Lincoln University and the University of Pennsylvania, first as a student and then as a teacher. In 1947, he returned to the Gold Coast of Africa, where he rapidly assumed leadership in the fight for his country's independence. On March 6, 1957, Ghana became an independent nation member of the British Commonwealth, and Dr. Nkrumah was chosen Ghana's first prime minister. The birth of Ghana as a nation has been called a personal triumph for Dr. Nkrumah and a symbol for other African states seeking freedom. Early this year, he initiated and was made chairman of the Conference of Independent African States. And now seated around the press table, ready to interview our guest, are Patrick O'Donovan of the London Observer, May Craig of the Portland, Maine Press Herald, Clifton Daniel of the New York Times, and Richard Clerman of Time Life. And now, Dr. Croomer. if you're ready, we'll start the question with Mr. Mr.
6: Prime Minister, in your trip to the United States and Canada, you've repeatedly said that the foreign policy of your government is basically one of non-alignment and positive neutrality. I wonder if you could tell us exactly what you mean by that.
8: Uh, When I refer to this position as that of non-alignment and positive neutralism, what we mean is that uh, we have to watch out how we align ourselves with any particular group. But that does not mean uh, a sort of negative neutralism, or rather the suspension of any judgment. If any position were to arise, I think we can take the view which we think is the right view to take.
6: Well, we frequently have situations in the world now where the East and West, uh, in some cases uh, the Russians and the Americans, are on opposite sides of an issue. Uh, Could you say, in terms of this foreign policy that you've just described, uh, where, in such a situation, your government would uh, place its uh, loyalties?
8: Yes, where we think our interests lie.
6: Well, let me be a little more specific. We have a situation that is very much in the news now in Lebanon. Uh, Where does your interest, interest lie in Lebanon,
8: at the moment, I think that's why our non-alignment comes in. In the case of Lebanon, it's really non-alignment. We don't want to uh, get into the what is now happening there. And I think I've given out my own view on the matter. Mr. Daniel.
9: Uh, Mr. Prime Minister... Uh... Let's turn a moment from your foreign policy to ours in the United States. We've talked about the Lebanon. Uh, You may be uniquely equipped to give us some advice on this subject and others. You were educated in the United States. Your country belongs to the British Commonwealth. And uh, you are certainly one of the outstanding leaders of African nationalism. Perhaps you can give us some advice about our approach to these emerging new countries in Africa and Asia. Now, specifically, back to the Lebanon... Would you uh, say that we were right, uh, from our point of view, to have sent our troops to the Lebanon?
8: I would not be in the point to say whether you are right or wrong. But as I have pointed out elsewhere, there's no need to apportion blame anywhere. The only thing for it to try to find out a solution to the
9: problem. Well, having, having sent our troops there... Uh, what uh, solution would you now suggest? Should we withdraw them? Should we, w- w- should we remain with our troops for a I time? I would say
8: that uh, you can withdraw them when, say, you have a United Nations force to
9: replace it. Well, let's turn then to another country in the area. Uh, what would you say uh, should be our attitude toward the new uh, revolutionary regime in Iraq? Should we recognize it? Uh, should we establish relations with it?
8: Of course, I'm not very well acquainted with actual the real causes of that coup d'etat.
9: And therefore, perhaps it would be difficult for me to
8: give you a judgment here.
9: Well, let me ask you then about uh, 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 something I'm sure you do know something about, and that is what uh, do you think should be our attitude towards our relations with uh, President uh, Nasser of Egypt, a man whom I believe you know, and I know very well.
8: Well, I think uh, the relationship could be that of friendship. Uh, I remember discussing this very question with him. He pointed out that at a time when he needed help, he didn't get it. You see, in order to survive, you have to go somewhere else. And that's why you took that uh, step you took.
7: Mrs. Craig. I don't
8: think there's a really big limit uh, between the United States and the United Arab Republic.
7: Mrs. Craig.
10: Well, Mr. Prime Minister, would you join the United Arab Republic?
8: No, because uh, I belong to one of the African states. Yes. Yeah.
10: Well, you did call a conference of independent African states. Would you call that uh, forming a block?
8: No, I won't call that forming a block. We were, uh, we were particular, very particular about this. We wanted to concentrate on the independent states on the African continent as such. So Egypt was on the African continent. That's what Egypt was invited as an independent country of the continent to attend this conference.
10: You speak quite often of Libya, Tunisia, Morocco. Would you, would you like to form them, them into a block of which you would be the head?
8: You were very particular at the conference not to use this word block, because all what we are trying to achieve is some sort of a united outlook to solve our common problems. As I made it quite clear, we are not ganging up against anybody.
10: Well, sir, what do you call that? If you don't call it a block, what name do you call it when you get together with common aims and a kind of an alliance? Perhaps you
8: might call it the African personality, which we think has now emerged.
10: Well, don't you think it's that's mutual cooperation? Do you think it's the same thing when friends get together to defend each other?
8: No, we didn't say we are going to get together to defend each other, either by military arms or anything like that. We want to get together so that we shall be able to discuss our common problems. That is your British Commonwealth, and I think that is also your an American Union.
10: You are friendly with Israel. Would you? What would you do if your friend uh, Mr. Nasser were to go on with what he says he will do, which is to destroy Israel and push it into the sea?
8: I don't think I've ever noted that from NASA saying that was going to destroy Israel. Yes,
10: sir. Yes, sir. He
8: but has. That never come to my notice.
10: Yes, sir. I've heard him say it.
8: Then it's going to be a job. That's all. Well,
10: what would you do? Said idle and let it be done, your friend Israel.
8: He said not would you let sit it.
10: idle and let that be done, your friend Israel. But that's I don't
11: you? think that will be done. Mr. O'Donovan. Sir, if I could turn perhaps to the internal affairs of your country, uh, I read quite a lot lately, particularly in the British press, uh, about some rather turbulent political affairs that are going on in Ghana. And I wondered if perhaps you sometimes thought that the British, in leaving, had saddled you with an unsuitable parliamentary system.
8: I won't say that they have. They left us and saddled us with sort of a bad parliamentary system but all depends upon the Constitution mm. that is left with
11: you. But can you make it work? I mean would you say for instance that uh, democracy as an institution is perfectly safe in Ghana today? I would
8: definitely say that democracy in Ghana is perfectly safe but sometimes you, know, you have to take some measures to really safeguard democracy in its initial stages.
11: Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, can you find any use for the more traditional modes of government in Africa? For instance, you have a, a quite a large system of chieftains in your country. Do you find those now getting in the way of the proper development of a modern Ghana?
8: No. At the moment, uh, most of our chiefs are becoming to realize that the times are changing, and they must also change with the times.
11: Would it be quite possible in the next election, I mean, would it be theoretically possible, the next election for you to be defeated and the opposition to take over in a quite orderly manner? is possible.
7: Mr. Prime Minister, is it true as has been said that although you've given Ghana considerable stability, uh, Ghana has lost some freedom under you? That charge has been made, as you know, in this country. We
8: say that under me, I think Ghana has got more freedom. And Anytime I ask this question, I always say that I wish some of the press from here could go there and study our problems locally. Naturally, we were faced with some definite problems at the beginning, and we had to take some certain steps.
7: Well, is it true at all that you tend to get rid of your opponents when you don't like their criticism, as also has been charged in Time Life, for example? in this country. That is not true. It isn't? No. Mr. Mr. Kleinman.
6: Mr. Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Spivak has been talking to you about civil liberties inside your country. Uh, Do you have uh, a law called a uh, a, uh, preventative detention law? And am I right in understanding that that is a law by which you may imprison a man up to five years for a threat? National security or a threat to foreign policy without any step by step judicial process?
8: Yes, I think uh, I was responsible introducing that bill myself.
6: Well, now, in Western terms, that would be considered a peculiar law for a democracy to have on its books. I wonder if you could explain that to us. Sir. You see, we've got to a point <clears throat> that you have to adopt certain
8: temporary measures. You see, we have an independent judiciary. We have uh, an independent civil service. Uh, when the British, you know, left, uh, they left. Shall so I put it this way? That they had the power by which, the real authority by which with which they governed Ghana. They left, and then they did not put it anywhere else. And so everybody started feeling as if that anybody can do whatever he likes. And so we have to find out measures by adopting some temporary measures by which we can really put this thing to stop until everything goes well for us to be able to follow the right line.
6: May I uh, change the subject yeah. to a larger legislative question? Uh, are you in favor of the proposed summit meeting that is about to uh, apparently about to take place in New York? Yes,
8: I'm all in favor for the summer conference because all these arguments here and there is sort of when they meet around the common round table, then they will actually know who is fooling each other.
6: What do you hope will emerge from this conference? I
8: mean, when they meet.
6: Uh, After they meet, when they've met, and then what do you hope will emerge from their meeting?
8: Well, if nothing emerges, at least they have met. And I think since I came, I've been happen all along, certain proposals which I've put forward, and which I hope the United Nations will take it very seriously.
9: Mr. Daniel. Uh, Prime Minister, I'd like to return just one moment to the question of the internal affairs of Ghana, Uh, to ask about another development there. Your country is a member of the British Commonwealth. Uh, Do you envision that the country shall remain so for a long time and pursue British institutions and British uh, methods? The reason I ask the question is because since uh, Ghana has become independent, we've seen what seem to be some signs of a breakaway from the British tradition. I believe that, um, uh, for example, uh, you no longer have God Save the Queen as the national anthem, I think the Queen's uh, pictures have been taken off the stamps in the country and uh, replaced, I believe, in some cases with your own portrait. Uh, other evidences of a tendency to drift away from Britain, shall we say? In, uh, you see, we chose
8: according to our own free world to remain within the Commonwealth. And I personally feel that it is our mutual interest for it to remain within the common world. You see, you have had British traditions, language, and education. It will be difficult to break suddenly. But I think there are points that the African has his own personal outlook, and that's why sometimes made a point that some sort of a Republican form of government will suit the African character. But I've gone so far as to make it quite clear that whatever form of a Republican form we take, we will still continue to remain
7: within the Commonwealth. Mrs. De- Craig.
10: Yeah, Mr. Prime Minister, your country is a very small country and probably could not defend itself militarily. I understand you put your trust in the United Nations. That's correct. Is that true? That's correct. But the United Nations has no force with which to defend you.
8: That's why I'm advocating international force for the United Nations.
10: You mean a police force for the United Nations? That's right. Would Ghana contribute to
8: it? Sure, we shall contribute. We or don't have. You say? have only three battalions, but I think we can put one battalion aside for the United Nations.
10: Sir.
8: I said you have only three battalions. But I think you can put one battalion aside right, for the United Nations.
10: Yes. But uh, we have never been able to get the United Nations to act in time, even if it had a permanent force. How do you think we're going to get a permanent force for the United Nations?
8: Well, we have to talk about it in the United Nations when they meet.
10: I lead you back again to what I asked you in the first place. Yes? How can you get along without alliances of friends to help you?
8: That's why we must all find ways and means of standard United Nations.
10: You have lived in the United States. You were educated here. Do you think the United States is imperialist?
8: It all depends what you mean by imperialism. But as far as I know, I don't the United States is
4: imperialistic.
10: Well, imperialistic. Yeah, I don't think so. You do not think so? No. Uh, do you regard the United States as the shield of the free world? That's the way we regard ourselves. We have helped everybody. I won't, need say, I
8: won't say the United States alone. The United States and other nations fighting for freedom are the bulwark of that liberty.
10: You want to stop nuclear testing, I have heard you say. But uh, how do you expect the free world to defend itself if it does not have the most modern of weapons which require, perhaps, testing?
8: But the stopping of the testing should not be done by the, uh, the West alone. The other side also must stop testing this <laughs> atomic tests.
7: Mr. Prime Minister, did I understand you to say that if the, there were a United Nations force, you would contribute troops to it? Yes. Would you prepare, be prepared to send troops into Lebanon and Jordan if United Nations force was set up?
11: If the condition demands it, yes.
7: Mr. O'Donoghue. Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, I
11: understand you've had a, a magnificent welcome from an enormous number of uh, uh, American Negroes while you've been here. And I wondered if you'd seen any sign of the sort of sympathy and loyalty and a desire to help among American Negroes which American Jews have... For Israel
8: I think that sympathy is there that even though uh, they look upon themselves as Americans <coughs> I think the bond of blood and kinship makes them feel that perhaps they can do something to help us and I've put it over to them that something should be done I think not only when we ask for investment I think Negro investment also should go to Ghana.
11: How much, Mr. Prime Minister, does the uh, uh, the attitude to the race question in parts of America, uh, how much effect does that have on the African mind? For instance, how well known is the name Little Rock in Africa?
8: Well, I think Little Rock, only those of us people who can read. who it came to our notice. That may guilt of the People didn't know at all what... Was this little rock? But anyway, the racial problem is there, and I think at the Accra conference, all of us came out clearly that it doesn't matter whatever it is, you should find some way in which, uh, racial segregation will never exist. And it was even suggested that in our own areas, in order to show a good example, that we should bring forward legislation to abolish it in our own, uh,
7: States. Mr. Kleiman, Mr.
6: Prime Minister, it's been said of your economic philosophy that uh, you call yourself a Marxist socialist. Is that correct, sir?
8: Yeah.
6: Uh, Would you tell us exactly uh, what you mean when you call yourself a Marxist socialist?
8: When I call myself Marxist socialist, I'm really talking of philosophy, but I don't know how I should really explain it better here. A man must have an outlook, a specific outlook. Uh, I remember the question this matter with somebody in, I think Washington, I don't want to mention names. We were talking about socialism and capitalism. He tried to explain to me that socialism in the long run will lead to dictatorship. I agreed, if you want to put it logically. Capitalism also. I pointed out, if you want to follow it to its logical conclusion, you might also be heading to uh, dictatorship of money. So in the long run, we try to find out a way that whether it's, most of this will become mere words. It depends upon the man's approach to this problem and what he actually does. You must find a medium.
6: I understand one of the points of your visit here is to encourage private American capital to invest in Ghana, Mm. is that right, sir? Yeah. And do you think it is any deterrent to that kind of investment, uh, the economic philosophy which you have just expressed?
8: I have never found it incompatible with private investment. In fact, we have made it quite obvious. In Ghana, we are following three principles certain jobs in certain industries which can be done by private capital, those also that can be done with the cooperation of private capital, and those that can be done by government. We are pulling these three levels very, very seriously.
7: Gentlemen, our time is running short. Make your questions short, too. Mr. Daniel.
9: Uh, Prime Minister, I wanted to ask whether you could specifically tell us whether, uh, in connection with your development plans, you have obtained any promises of help since you've been in this country, particularly for the Volta River hydroelectric project.
8: No, I will not say any definite uh, help, but the atmosphere is so congenial that I hope something might come out of it.
7: Craig.
10: Mr. Prime Minister, you said in Washington that the Middle East oil resources ought to be brought under international control, with possibly the United Nations handling, and what did you mean by that?
8: I've always felt that the oil is the troublemaker in the Middle East. And I felt that the best thing is to, in order to stop all these troubles, is to quarantine the whole of the Middle East on the basis of, say, the neutrality of Austria. But I also know that the practical applications or the how these things should be worked out can be done by experts. And that's why I've never commended the way and means in which it should be done.
7: Mr. Prime Minister, the Genocide Convention, which makes it an international crime... To destroy a race has been ratified i believe by 58 members of the united nations i don't believe uh, your nation has yet ratified it. Is there any special reason for that
8: i don't know much
7: about that that is the united uh, that is uh, a a united nations resolution and i understand that your nation is not ratified but would you be for ratifying such a resolution which outlaws Makes it an international crime to destroy a race as Hitler tried to destroy the Jews, for example.
8: But I think uh, uh, the thing condemns itself. I think anybody should be against a thing like that.
7: Yes, and yet your nation has not ratified it yet.
8: Because remember, we are only one year old. So now that some of these problems are coming before us.
7: But you would be. But personally,
8: for I'll be for it.
7: Yes. Mr. O'Donovan. Mr. Prime Prime Minister, when you come
11: to uh, work practically inside the United Nations, uh, do you find yourself sympathizing most of the time with, say, the Indian delegation and working in with them in the Bandung powers?
8: Of course, you see, we took part, uh, the African states took part with the Bandung Conference. So naturally, in policy making, on some real issues relating to Afro-Asian problems, I think we have to talk together. But what matters affecting Africa, I think, is for the eight independent states to have their own objective outlook on the matter.
11: Well, the arrival of all these new Asian states has made an enormous difference, both to international affairs and the United Nations. Do you think that in a few years' time, with yourself and perhaps with Nigeria and others, Africa can also bring something new?
7: That is our purpose. Mr. Claremont.
6: Mr. Prime Minister, you've often been called, as you undoubtedly are, the leader of African nationalism. Do you think that the African nationalism that uh, you lead will coexist happily with Colonel Nasser's Arab nationalism, or will they come in conflict?
9: I hope they do not come in conflict. Uh, Mr. Prime Mr. Minister... Daniel. There have, in fact, uh, already been differences between yourself and Colonel Nasser and basic policy, haven't there? For example, in your relations with Israel, which was mentioned earlier, and also um, on this uh, question of the Lebanon. You certainly don't quite agree with uh, Colonel Nasser on the Lebanon. Is there a conflict and a rivalry there? There is no, uh,
8: uh, no conflict. I have made the position quite clear on Israel, to Nasser. And I think he understood my position. You see, we follow these things only on principles, and that's what I've been dealing with him, even though he's
7: a personal friend of mine. I'm sorry to interrupt you now, but I see our time is up, Mr. Prime Minister. Thank you very much for being with us. And now, here is our announcer. Goodbye
11: for Prime Minister Kwame Nkrumah, and meet the press.
1: Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. In December of 1958, uh, appearing on Meet the Press in the United States, a uh, Sunday morning uh, talk show uh, that still airs uh, today, uh, some 64 years later. And uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back uh, with our concluding segment, also dealing uh, with the lifetime and contributions of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. He Mendel and uh, the tune entitled "Why Do Black Men Fuss and Fight," and uh, of course we're paying tribute to uh, the legendary uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, uh, who made his transition uh, on April 27th of 1972, 50 years ago uh, this uh, month. And uh, right now we want to move into a, another rare archival audio file of uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah speaking to a group and a conference of African Freedom Fighters that met in Accra, Ghana, in 1962. Aless listening,
12: Fellow Freedom Fighters, comrades and friends, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to Accra and to this conference of African Freedom Fighters and supporters of the growing movement for Africa's liberation and unity. It is good for our cause to have a periodic meeting of this kind to examine our position in the great struggle to raid Africa completely and forever of imperialism and its handmaidings, colonialism and neocolonialism. <laughs> it gives us the opportunity also to review our strength as well as that of the enemy and to reorganize our forces and our strategy in order to carry the struggle forward to victory. We have shaped a destiny for ourselves and no one can alter the course of that destiny. It is the destiny of complete freedom for Africa, the total liberation of our continent and its political and economic unification. We have achieved some measure of success in this struggle for human freedom and dignity, but we still have a great task ahead. We can only know the extent of our task and our own strength when we have examined and ascertained that of the enemy. Who is the enemy? fellow freedom fighters, the enemy is imperialism, (laughs) which uses as its weapons colonialism and neocolonialism. Let us be very, very clear about this. Let us also not lose sight of the real objective, which is the liquidation of colonialism and imperialism in all its forms, political, economic, ideological and the political unification of Africa, our dear continent. Then we must ask, what is imperialism? And what are the forms it has taken? And what other masks is it likely to put on? (laughs) Modern imperialism arose when capitalism had achieved both industrial and financial monopoly and the competition for raw materials and markets had made it imperative for the advanced industrialized countries to expand into the less advanced parts of the world. This phenomenon led to the partition of the world among the great powers. Asia and Africa were divided up among them. Fellow freedom fighters and friends. African nationalist thinking has been adjusting to internationalism within the continent. The development process that must lead to the political unification of the African continent. But the objective of African unity can be seriously undermined by tribalism, which provides one of the happiest hunting grounds for the colonialist and new colonialist enemies of African independence and unity. Unless we take this problem of tribalism very carefully in hand, it can undo all our valiant efforts to bring real independence to Africa. We all know the evils of colonialism, but there are some of us who do not appreciate the malevolent possibilities for infinite disruption and even chaos of uncontrolled tribalism which can make havoc of our hopes and our aspirations. We know that the colonialists are past masters in the policy of divide and rule. They are quick to seize on tribal differences which they discover among us, and use this to pit one group against the other. Soon, these superficial differences become exaggerated into serious political factions which sometimes lead to tragic, fratricidal struggles within the same territory. You must guard against it, guard against it by forging a common united front against the common enemy. The dangers it opens up and the manipulations to which it can be put are too numerous and too threatening for us to ignore it, to ignore its urgent demand for critical and constructive attention. Failure in this task would only risk all the efforts and sacrifices that we have made so far in our common cause and place in jeopardy the future peace and development of the continent. I therefore charge you to place high on your agenda and to give it your most thoughtful and creative consideration. Colonial rule has left a high degree of illiteracy among our people. And we all know that in conditions of ignorance and superstition, it is easy enough to find enticing feuds. This menace can be met by unity among the leaders and the creation of a nationwide, firmly knit political organization receiving the most complete loyalty and devoted service from all its members especially its offices and organizing officials in the field. Colonial rule has left the masses of our people poverty-stricken, disease-ridden, while enormous quantities of mineral and agricultural wealth were drained out of Africa year in and year out. I am not making this point merely in order to harrow you with ugly memories. Many of you have been confronted only too recently with the shocking actualities of calculated oppression to be able at this moment to push them out of your mind. I raise this point so that it will stay in your mind when you may be tempted by the seductive promises of new colonialism to forget the real character of colonialist imperialism and be persuaded away from your own true interests and those of Africa. For today, we must each see ourselves as part of Africa in order that we may face colonialist imperialism and its new form, new colonialism, on a continent-wide front. For unity must be the keynote of our actions. Our enemies are many, and they stand ready to pounce upon and exploit our very weakness. They tell us that this particular person or that particular country has greater or more favorable potentialities than the other. They do not tell us that we should unite, that we are all as good as we are able to make ourselves once we are free. Remember, always. That you have four stages to make. First, the attainment of freedom and independence. Secondly, the consolidation of that freedom and independence. Thirdly, the creation of unity and community between the free African states. Fourth, the economic and social reconstruction of Africa. I must again urge the United Nations to see to it that its own declaration on the liquidation of colonialism is given practical effect without further delay. Yes. So long as colonialism exists in Africa, Africans cannot help talking the way we do now. <laughs> and mankind cannot escape the constant threat of war. Africa therefore appeals to the United Nations to live up to its reputation as the greatest bastion of world peace and demands that the meeting of this year's United Nations session should be devoted to the problem of colonialism in Africa. It is folly, it is folly for the colonialists to think that they can hold back forever the progress of history. The process of change is inherent in the interplay of social, economic, and political forces. It is true that these can be hindered and impeded and even bent to different purposes, but not forever. However, we who are concerned with the immediacy of African independence and unity, are not prepared to wait upon the evolution of history. We are determined to give history a revolutionary push. We must adopt a positive, all-out, anti-colonialist, anti-imperialist attack. And this quickly, for we cannot afford the luxury of delay. Time asks for the enemy, no less than for ourselves. (laughs) Let us therefore examine our position seriously and objectively to see how well we have managed so far and evaluate our points of weakness and the necessary remedies. Let us, let us determine what modifications are needed to adjust our strategy to counter the movements of the enemy and overcome him. This requires some plain speaking, and for the sake of Africa, let us speak plainly. As I say, our greatest danger stems from disunity and the inability to see that the realization of our hopes and aspirations, the realization of our objective of total African independence and of our future progress and prosperity is inexcusable, bound up with the necessity to unify our policy and actions in connection with the continuous struggle for independence and the greater task of economic and social reconstruction beyond it. We must therefore face the issue of African unity now, for only unity will make the artificial boundaries and regional demarcations imposed by colonialism obsolete and superfluous. African unity will thus provide an effective remedy for border disputes, and internecine troubles. In a united Africa, there could be no frontier claims between Ethiopia and Somalia, or between Zanzibar and Kenya, Guinea or Liberia, or between Ghana, Togoland and the Ivory Coast. Because, <laughs> because you, we would regard ourselves as one great continental family of Some of the leaders, it must be confessed, do not see the struggle of their brother Africans as part of their own struggle. Even if they did, they would not be free to express their solidarity. These rifts are consciously created by the imperials between the Africans, where they can sit back and watch with sly satisfaction as well as contempt for those who fail to see how they are being used against Africa's best interests. Regrettably, regrettably. Those states include some who were among the freedom fighters of yesterday and who haven't won their independence, are willing to drop it for some token aid and thereby deny to those still struggling for freedom even their moral support. Here is a phenomenon against which all African freedom fighters must be on their guard and resist this to the utmost. Even though I appreciate the difficulties facing us, I must admit, I find it strange to watch some of us returning willingly to the colonialist fold. This time, they don't even have to They don't even have the excuse of being forced to subject themselves to foreign domination. It makes one wonder why so much effort and sacrifice and so many lives were given up to the achievement of independence in the first place, if it can only be so quickly and easily surrendered. Unhappily for us, colonialism creates in some Intellectual allegiances, which are not severed at the moment of independence, but remain to condition loyalties away from Africa towards the metropolis, metropolis which draws them. They are unable, to would appear, to accept the idea that Africans can get together to make a to make viable and joint concern of a combined African continent. But rather, see their salvation and coming together in association like the Franco-African community moved recently at Bangu. Although there are many here who speak English, French, Spanish, or Portuguese, nevertheless, we are all Africans. Africans fighting for African independence, Africa's unity, Africa's future. I have said that I understand the difficulties of these states, which are drawing away from the African community back into that of Europe, faced with the demands of their people. for rising rising standards of living, and better social conditions, but charged with economies that can hardly meet the recurrent expenses of administration and maintenance. They are in dilemma. And standing at their elbows are the new colonialist agents, burying them back with a smile into the web of imperialism, though it may have a new look this time, and offer the irresistible bit of immediate help. But the help, but the help, this help will be far away as they will experience with no great loss of time by the knots into which their economies will be tied by the Euro-African Association. <laughs> Imperialism does not change its nature. It only changes its front. (laughs) It still needs colonial appendages, whether in name or in fact, to exploit and at the same time to support its Cold War strategy. In the face of this serious threat to our economy and independence in Africa. We must begin to build immediately our own continental common market. For it is easy for every, anyone who studies the common market organization closely to realize, to realize that the common market is aimed at harnessing the African countries to justify the profit loss of the imperialist block and to prevent us from following an independent neutralist policy. It is easy to see that the imperialists and the colonialists are determined to retain the African countries in the position of suppliers of cheap raw materials. If we do not resist this threat And if we throw in our lot with the common market, we shall doom the economy of Africa to a state of perpetual subjection to the economy of Western Europe. This will of course hinder the industrialization of our young African states. It is impossible to think of economic development and national independence without possession and unfettered capacity for maintaining a strong industrial power. The activities of the common market are therefore fraught with dangerous political and economic consequences for the independent African states. The the organization constitutes an attempt to replace the old system of colonial exploitation by a new system of collective colonialism. Which should be stronger and more dangerous than the old evils we are striving to liquidate from our continent
1: Welcome back, and uh <clears throat> that's going to conclude our program uh, for today and uh that was uh Dr. Kwame Nkrumah speaking at a conference of African. Freedom Fighters in 1962 held in Accra, Ghana. That was excerpts uh, from that address. And uh, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you'd like to have access to the program, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan-African journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll be closing out uh, with the music of Clifford Brown and Max Roach uh, from a concert in uh, the state of California during 1954 this is Abayomi Zikaway signing off and have a beautiful week presenting the outstanding exponents of the new jazz led by Max Roach at the drums good evening ladies and gentlemen it's my pleasure to introduce to you at this time George Bledsoe our bass violinist
2: Our pianist, Carl Perkins, (laughs) Teddy Edwards, our tennis saxophonist,
10: (laughs) and the great Clifford Brown on trumpet.
1: First, all God's children, God's women.
2: now it's our pleasure to present Clifford Brown playing
1: for you tenderly. Teddy Edwards the original Sunset Eyes.